worry. It steals the joy of today on the hope that we can solve what happens tomorrow. I don't know if this happens to you, but it certainly does to all of us because the future is uncertain. There are things that we don't know about the future and it causes us to worry, to be stressed about that. But one of the reasons that we should lay that aside is because the risen king of love reigns. And not only does he reign over our past, that's forgiven, our present, that's redeemed, he reigns over our future too. The passage that my friend Jack read so eloquently a moment ago was in Matthew chapter 6. If you're not familiar with that passage, it's from the Sermon on the Mount. It's sort of the how-to book about being a Christian. It's Jesus' first words about how it is that the Christian ethic is supposed to look and feel. Well, today we're going to take a look at not only that, the section that Jack just read, but we're going to add to it a case study. an evaluation of how that might look in practice. What would it look like if somebody were to take those words and use them in everyday life? Because let me tell you, if the Bible is only good for when you're in church, then it's not really that useful. But if the Bible is a guide for life, then it is the only book that we really need. I believe you know which one it really is. As we begin, let us invite the spirit of the living God into this place through prayer. Join me, won't you? It is a beautiful thing, Lord, that you've given us the chance to be here together today. We thank you for the opportunity to share this few minutes we'll share together. We ask, Lord, that you would meet with us now as we open your word. And just as we've experienced you through song, let us now do so through the spoken word. Do your work in each of our lives, Lord. Let us find in you the hope that you meant for us to have. And let us go away from here, Lord, different than we came. We're grateful for you, Lord, and we're grateful you put us here together. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. The most difficult part of living under the risen king of love's reign is trusting him with our future. It's not that we don't think he's got it under control. It's that, wait for it. We want to help him keep it under control. We want to make sure that he does it right. You understand that, of course. We want to make sure that he does it to our liking and does it to our preferences. So we want to run ahead of him. But if we've learned anything in in this section we just read, it's that sometimes there are moments we must trust him more than we trust ourselves. That's why verse 33 is one of the first verses that I committed to memory. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And verse 34, Jesus' statement about tomorrow, about our future. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, he says, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for each day is the trouble of its own. Yeah, we know about that, don't we? In Acts chapter 16, the case study we're going to go to, we have an example of the trouble for today. Let me catch you up. We're going to pick it up in verse 25. If you want to turn over in your Bibles there, we're going to spend the rest of our time there. In Acts 16, our friends Paul and Silas are in Philippi. It's a city right on the coast of Greece. It was called Macedonia then, but it's right on the coast. 
And they came into the city and they were serving the Lord. They were preaching the gospel. And there were some people that got a little confused. They thought he was advocating treason, overthrowing the Roman ruler. And in their jealousy and their anger and their bitterness and their misunderstanding, they arrested Paul and Silas. They beat them and then they locked them away in a Roman jail, intending to do more harm to them the following day. It's as if they just got tired and they said, you know what, we've beaten these guys so much, we're just worn smooth out. Let's go home and have supper, sleep on it, and we'll get back at them tomorrow. So they took him down to the jailhouse and they told the jailer, hey, jailer, lock these two knuckleheads away and we'll come back and deal with them in the morning. But understand, these two are dangerous prisoners. Put them in the safest place you have. So he took them into the innermost prison, locked them with shackles to the wall. It looked rather dark. Their future looked limited. You ever had a moment like that? where the situation that you find yourself in, whatever it might be, whether it's about your family or about your finances or about medical care, about something at school, whatever it is, it looks like the situation has come to a grinding halt and that there is no future and that everything has risen up around you and you feel shackled and bound to the circumstances that you have. Let's just start right here in verse 25 with a proclamation. My God is bigger than my circumstances. Would you just say that out loud with me? My God is bigger than my circumstances. See it in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them. Here it is. Paul and Silas unfairly charged, unfairly imprisoned, their crime being kind to people. Their penalty was out of step for their status as Roman citizens. The stocks locked tightly around their wrists and ankles. The stench of the dankness in the jail cell certainly permeated their clothing as well as their nostrils. It would have been easy to devolve into a sense of self-pity, anger, bitterness, hardness, with accusations lobbed at God. God, where are you in this? Why aren't you fixing this? How come you didn't solve this before it got here? If you're so great and mighty, God, why am I in this predicament? Why are my circumstances so small? Why is my future so limited? That's really what we are saying. But I want you to see, friends, that's not what Paul and Silas said. See it there again in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What it says is this. My body is held tight, but my soul is unchainable. You can hold me physically, but you ain't holding the the spiritual part of me. That part is free. For Paul, for Silas, they choose another path. They can lock his body in a jail cell but they can't limit his soul. They refuse to let their circumstances dictate the size of their God. And so they started singing. And notice this, it was a song worth singing. 
a song worth singing. Let's just pause here and say Roman jails weren't accustomed to hearing songs of praise. I got a little confession to make. Maybe you'll join me in it. When my wife and son go away on Saturdays, one of the things I do to entertain myself is watch Hee Haw. It's a terrible thing to confess, isn't it? One of my favorite things on it is when they get to the place where these guys are laying around bemoaning their fate. Woe is me. Agony on me. Gloom, despair, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. You know the song. I'll spare you my singing it because that would be cruel and unusual punishment. And our Constitution forbids that. But I do want you to see that's not the song that Paul and Silas are singing. That's the song I might have chosen, but it's not the song they chose. They chose a song worth singing. Now, we don't know what song it was. For those who are really interested in musical types, I want you to notice what's absent here. We don't know anything about the song style, about the recording artist, about who wrote it about what meter it's in, about whether it's a minor key or a a major key. We don't know any of that. All we know is that Paul and Silas start lifting their voices to God. They start praising God for who he is and what he has done. You and I might think, well, that's crazy. You're sitting in a Roman jail cell bound to the wall. How can you sing praise then? Psalm 107 verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It doesn't limit it to when it's easy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, our friend Paul later writes, For our troubles are light and momentary. (laughs) See, the challenge wasn't just trusting God to forgive the past or redeem the present. The challenge was trusting God with our future when we can't see it. That which is out of our sight. But if I can't trust the God who is in charge with my future, then I'll never be able to trust him with my present. If I can trust him, then a song worth singing is all I'll know. I want to give you a couple things to take home before we leave this section. One, what circumstances are holding you? Paul and Silas were limited by a jail. They were held on to by the shackles. What limits you? Secondly, what song is yours? Is it the hee-haw song? Mm, I hope not. I hope instead it's something like what our music team led us in just a moment ago. Even if your circumstances are difficult. You see, my God can change the unchangeable. My God can change the unchangeable. I want you to say that with me. They'll put it up on the screens. I want you to say this with me. My God can change the unchangeable. See it in verse 26. While they're singing, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everybody's bonds were unfastened. 
Think with me about this for a minute. Paul and Silas fixed firmly against the wall. The wall is standing firmly around them. They can't see anything in natural terms that's going to change their future. Ah, but friends, we serve a God who is not merely natural. He is supernatural. Grab this with both hands and hold on tight, would you? He is a supernatural God who acts in transcendent ways. Transcendent means he gets involved in human activities, and he does things in just the right way at just the right time. I don't know if that's good news to you, but it really is to me. Because let me be clear with you, what seemed insurmountable now lays at my feet. Earthquakes in this region were and still are common. This one was different. This one struck with so, such ferocity and such vengeance that the prison walls were shaken to the ground. Shackles opened up. And now Paul and Silas are free. It's as if the enemy doubled up his fist and hit me with the best lick he could find and found it completely ineffective. Now the rubble of his attacks lays scattered at my feet. I don't have to fear anymore because my future is no longer limited by natural events. It is governed by the supernatural transcendent God. My God can change the unchangeable. I want you to take home a couple of things with you. One, that which looks unchangeable in my life doesn't scare God. If you're facing something that's difficult, that's painful, that overwhelms you just to think about it, much less have to live through it, then I want you to, to, to do yourself a favor. Write whatever that problem is on a piece of paper and then draw a line over the top of it and write Jesus over the top of that. He's not nearly as scared of it as we are. Let him govern it for you. Here's the second thing I want you to take home. Ask God to open doors ahead of you. Now you might say, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? That's where I go back to passage we started with in Matthew chapter 6. Am I willing to trust God to take me where he wants me to go, even if it's not where I want to go? Am I willing to say yes to him and his leadership, even if it means that he leads me somewhere that I didn't choose? I think back a couple of years, five now, to when my mom passed away. I look at that situation and I think about how unfair it all seemed to me then and still now. My mom had lived a faithful walk with the Lord for many years. She had served her church as a Sunday school teacher, office manager in her church office. She had done a lot of wonderful things. Why should she be the one to get renal cancer? Why should she be the one that the, the cancer takes? Why should she find that moment? Believe me, the Lord and I had many talks about it in those days. Why should the Lord not open that door for her? He did for others. Why not her? There's one word that I would like to leave, leave at the end of that. 
He hasn't opened that door for her yet. I was with my mom the night the Lord called her home. When I realized the Lord had called her home, my first thought was, she's not sick anymore. You see, the difference between my future and the future God has planned for me is my future is time-based. I want God to do it on my calendar, my schedule, and do it according to my preferences. But God's future is timeless. It's eternal. It doesn't have any restrictions or limitations. And his future is where I'm headed anyway. And so if I'm willing to surrender my version of the future in favor of his, I get a whole lot more future than if I just stick with mine. Ask God to open doors ahead of you, and if he hasn't done it, don't presume that he won't. It could be that God is playing the long game. That brings me to the next thing. When Paul and Silas were locked in the jail, the jailer that put them there believed faithfully that these men were his enemies. They were those he should be afraid of, and maybe the other prisoners believed the jailer was their enemy. But I want to tell you, friends, my enemies aren't always the ones standing in front of me. They're not the ones that are necessarily the ones I should be worried about. It could be that Satan is behind this whole thing in the first place. See it in verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, the jailer woke up. Earthquake got him too. The jailer woke up and he found that everything he'd ever trusted in was shattered that the prison doors were open and that the walls were down. The shackles were loose and everything that he thought was secure and stable, everything that he thought would, would guarantee his future, it was gone. It was gone. In a moment, it was gone. And he realized at that moment he'd chosen the wrong team. It was time to change. He realized there was another power at work. And he realized that the enemy he thought he was fighting Paul and Silas were actually his friends and that the enemy was Satan himself. See, this is the thing about it. The enemy can't keep what isn't his. The enemy may box you in, shackle you to the wall and hold you there, but he cannot keep you there forever. When the jailer went to sleep, the jail stood tall and strong. When he wakes up, its destruction is clear shattered and broken it holds no power and the jailer knows it that's why he's about to kill himself he knew that the penalty from his roman overlords would be his death so why give them the pleasure i'll kill myself that'll save the embarrassment but friends a revival comes because god calls for what is his own he says come to me now you've trusted me Come on over here and let me take you, take you through this. The real problem is I want a revival. I want revival, but 
but I want it in my form. I want God to do it my way. That's different than what Paul does. As Paul looks at the jailer, it might have been easy to say, well, he had it coming. Let him kill himself. Instead, Paul intercedes. Don't hurt yourself. We're still here. You're more valuable to us than our freedom. Understanding something more about the power of God and his authority, the transcendent supernatural authority of God, the jailer comes with one question. What do I need to do to be saved, to find the kind of hope, life, and power that you've got? Two things I want you to take home. One, God is bigger than any enemy we'll face. There's no enemy that we'll come up against that scares God. Two, trusting God doesn't always lead me around my enemies. Sometimes God leads me through their camp. If you're following our Bible reading plan, you spent some time this week in Judges chapter 8, Gideon. Gideon and the 300 men that he gathered together. He started with 32,000, and God said, that's too many. Whittle it down, whittle it down, whittle it down. And finally gets down to 300 men to fight an army of thousands. And God says, I'll do it my way, trust me. He doesn't lead them around the camp of Gideon. He leads them right into the middle of the camp. And then not only did Gideon and his men hardly do a thing, they saw the power of God do it for them. Likewise, for the sea, the day that they were on the, the sea when they were being tossed about, Jesus did not still the storm until he taught them to trust the master of the water. Could it be that God is doing that in your life? Because here's the thing that God wants us to get to. My God can change my future. Say that with me, won't you? My God can change my future. Paul answers the jailer in verse 31. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. He was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. See, Paul's invitation extends to this day. Accepting Christ means embracing him through faith and accepting that free gift. Paul wrote about it in Romans 10 and Ephesians 2 and many other places as well. All of them point to the same solution that he gives the jailer in verse 31 and that he gives to us today. We can find a different path than the one we're on. My God can change my future. All because of his power, not my want to. And receive this, an altered present and a changed future. They come together. An altered present and a changed future. This man responded in faith, and so did his family. His first ministry service, his first opportunity to help people, was with these same two that he locked in the jail earlier that night. I want you to wrap your mind around something for a minute, all right? Imagine that he is shackling Paul and Silas into those shackles and putting their feet in the stocks, all right? Do you think there's any possible way that 
at that moment, the jailer had an idea that those same feet would be under his table later that same night. My God can change my future. He can change yours too. One of the challenges then that we're faced with is finding the capacity to trust him. Here's where it starts. It's the first thing I want you to take home. Salvation is through Jesus alone. See, I hear a lot of people talk nowadays about finding their truth and finding their hope and finding their reality and they have to be true to their own feelings and they have to be true to themselves and follow their heart and follow your feelings and follow your wishes and, and, and be true to yourself. And, and all those things are, are, are fine, but none of them lead to life, friends. None of them lead to life. They all lead to death. Only Jesus said, I'm the life. I'm the way. I'm the truth. Any man who comes to me has come to the Father. He's the only one who said, I'm the bread of life. He who eats of me shall live forever. He's the only one who said, I'm the living water. He who drinks of me shall live forever. He's the one that said, I'm the light of the world. He's the one that said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. Can I tell you today, friends, salvation is through Jesus alone. And let's end with this. My future changes when I walk with Jesus. He's going to take me places I never meant to go. And he's going to do it in ways that he and he alone will, will plan. Have you ever ridden on a two-person bicycle? It's a lot of fun to have two-person bicycles because it demands a lot of participation and cooperation from both ends. But you know, it's a very different experience when you're riding in the back seat. When you're riding in the back seat, that handlebar that you have, it's just for looks. If you shake it trying to turn, then all you're doing is destabilizing the bike. It's that front seat that has control. I want you to conceptualize this with me. If you're riding in a two-person bicycle with Jesus and he's in the back seat, switch seats. Switch. Now, you might say, but Darren, Jesus might take me somewhere I don't want to go. Oh, but friends, when you get there, you'll find something you could have never imagined. I wonder if you need to change seats today. I wonder if you've allowed your future to be limited. I wonder if your circumstances have looked scary and overwhelming, and I wonder if they've boxed you in. I wonder if you feel shackled like Paul, and I wonder if you are wondering where God is in the midst of all that. Today, I want to give you an invitation, an invitation to find freedom, an invitation to find life. It won't solve all the problems that are coming, but it will be a good start. It starts by inviting Jesus to be the Lord and Master of your life, just like this jailer did. I invite, invite you to find the same hope that the jailer found, and here's how you do it. In just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, and here's what I want you to do. If you would say, Darren, I need to find the kind of hope that Jesus meant for me to have, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to come down and talk to me or one of my staff members. We'll be waiting right down here.
Oh, but Darren, what will people say? What will they think? You know what? If you're desperate enough to leave the circumstances you have and find the hope that Jesus wants you to have, you won't care a lick. Maybe, just maybe, that's you. And in just a minute, when we stand up to sing, that's your cue. Don't wait. We're not going to sing long. So you start moving as soon as we stand up. Maybe you've already done that, but like the jailer, you've realized that you never were baptized. Hey, got good news for you. Next Sunday, we're going to baptize. It's going to be an awesome day. The water will already be warm. You need to be baptized, then it's your day. Come down and let's talk about what that means for you. It's the first step of Christian obedience. I hope you'll take it if you haven't already. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe you are one who's struggling, who's hurting, either because of something in your life or something in your family, something in somebody else's family that you were concerned for them about, and you just need somewhere to put it, some place to lay it down. You know what? That's what this altar is for. There's nothing magical or powerful about these steps, but there is about putting spiritual realities to physical expression. Coming down and kneeling and symbolically placing that here is a great way to say, Jesus, here it is. My circumstances, this situation, it's too heavy for me to carry any further. This altar is open for you. Let's pray together. Gracious Jesus, we, your people, have gathered to encounter you, and that's my prayer, Lord, that we have. Being in the church house doesn't guarantee that, though, Lord. So my prayer is that right now that we would respond to you. I know, Lord, there are many who are faced with circumstances not of their choosing, that are worried, that are fearful, that are overwhelmed, that feel tied down by their situation. Lord, I pray that you, like Peter or like Paul and Silas, that you would step in and shake it to the ground. But Lord, if you don't do that, we're still going to trust you. I pray, Lord, for those who need to respond to this invitation today, whether it's to come forward in faith, accepting you for the first time, to come forward acknowledging a need to be baptized, to come forward to this altar, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that right now, here today, this moment would be the time when you would move in their lives and that they would have the confidence and courage to step out. Let that be today, Lord. I'm grateful for your movement in my life this week. So I pray that it would be in all of our lives today. Do your work here now, Lord, in this short invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen.